A very warm welcome to this World Game Changers podcast, where your host, Paul D. Lowe, embraces many crucial conversations that compassionately contribute towards creating a better life and world. Paul's intention is very simple, to help get people's inspirational insights and motivational messages out into the world so others may benefit. Hello, World Game Changers, wherever you may be in this beautiful world of ours. Today, I am very happy indeed to be talking to a couple of fellow Brits and they're in Buckinghamshire. Buckinghamshire, first first slip of the day girls, Buckinghamshire. And as you'll probably see from um, or hear from this uh, intro into the podcast, there's nothing held back. Errors and all, we're not super duper polished, but there's one thing for sure listeners, isn't there? We're true, we're true. And we can't ask any more than that really. So, a bit of a long-winded intro for Pip and Jules. Bill's a very, very warm welcome to you. Oh, thank you, Paul. It's thank you for being here. Thanks indeed. So today, listeners, what we're going to be talking about, it's time to give yourself the edge. Now, this particular slot is under the young world game changers. Now, I've deliberately positioned it this way, listeners, for a very specific reason. And it's this. So on this Tuesday slot of Young World Game Changers, there's an assumption, isn't there, that young, I think the official definition is 24 years or below. Well, listen, we're going to be very gentlemanly around this. We're not going to ask our old Pip and Jules are. We don't need to. But at the same time, to bring in Tom Peters, perception is all there is because it's a number. It's a label. And it doesn't matter you know, whether we're 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, young, old, black, white, they're just labels. They're just, so we're not, we're going to kind of throw all that out the way. Yet again, girls, bit of a long-winded one, but I just want to kind of be creative about this and just say, look, strip out all these nonsense labels that and stereotypes that we're given and let's just see about getting the, you know, the edge in life. Does that all make sense? It does. Yeah, I love that. But I am, I, I'm still going with the fact, Paul, that you have put us in the brackets of young. I, I, I think that's a really good way to get two people on your side. For <laughs> 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 and under, we're not, but we'll, 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 we'll well, hold on to that label a little bit. I might have been twice. <laughs> <laughs> so well, the interesting thing you said there also, Paul, about the labels, of course, is it isn't only the labels that other people give us, it's the labels we choose to give ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, and arguably the, the latter, the one we give up, well, not arguably, in my humble opinion, the one we give ourselves is the damaging one. Because if we could learn to come to terms with that self-labeling, that self-criticism, um, and, you know, as we sort of go slide down the scale, that self-loathing and eventually that self-hate, if we can stop that, the external stuff doesn't matter anyway, does it? It's kind of sticks and stones stuff. Exactly, exactly. It's how we choose to make sense of the world. And then the label we choose to give it is how we then show up in the world. So if we can choose to let go of that dialogue, exactly what you talked about there, the, the, the bits that doesn't serve us, then suddenly the way we show up in the world is way more expansive. Mm. You know, one of, um, one of my values is loyalty. 
And people will often say, well, that's a bit of a strange one, Paul. Yeah, I kind of get that, you know, loyalty with your partner or, yeah, that comes into it. But more importantly, to thine own self be true. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's such a, it, it's such an important, um, you know, thing to, to recognise. But I think, unfortunately, so many people, and like that's a sweeping statement, people, some people, don't recognize that to be um, an important factor because I think we, in what we do we, we find that so many people don't have the ability to my favorite phrase be kind to themselves mm-hmm. and so that sense of myself be true to, to, to yourself it begins is um is absolutely key to start any journey yeah, I think so. It's about self-awareness, isn't it? Mm. But I think I think one of the other things for within all of that is having that moment to be still. Because mm. when you're still, you've got the ability to kind of recognise where you are and how you are with yourself. And you've then got more of ability to, as you rightly say, start with yourself and be kind to yourself. Um, but we can find ourselves in a position where, by virtue of so many things, not least of all, social media and everything else available to us. Our life moves at such a speed, we allow it to move at such a speed, we can step away from that being and being present. What came to me, what landed me with me there when you were speaking was, I'm actually on a, um, hosting a global gathering tonight. And one of the questions that one of our colleagues has said um, is, as life, as life was on pause for the pandemic, what we do we learn about ourselves and our perceptions of freedom? And for me, when you were speaking there, Pip, it really hit home. Remember what peace there may be in silence. Because mm. we struggle as humans with silence, don't we, generally? Yeah, absolutely. I, but I think we've almost been, I say we, it's a bit of a generalisation, but in essence, we've been... Um, kind of indoctrinated into a world where we need to move quickly we need to be communicating even and we we lose touch of the fact that sometimes that communication is and can be highly effective through silence yeah i'm going to be silent and let paul speak i thought he was about to say something (laughs) yeah the um I said, just joking aside. Well, actually, no, it's not joking aside. Why should why should we put joking aside? Let's embrace that kind of more light-hearted, light-heartedness, that energy, that more kind of elevated energy. But one of the things that I've propounded on more than one occasion is one of these days, and it's imminent, it's imminent, I'm going to do a podcast around, it's been influenced by the late, great, in my humble opinion, Dr. Wayne Dyer, when he... And I, thought it, I think he got it from the Tao Te Ching when he said, those that know, do not speak. Boy, is that powerful. Incredibly powerful. It's interesting, um, this whole idea of power of silence and take it just into the environment we work in. And um, I work in when I'm working in, with my freelancer cap on I run um presenting with impact courses and things like that and communication skills training and one of the the things that I say time and time again is allow silence to be your friend especially when you're communicating allowing there to be space in communication rather than feeling that we need to fill it 
And that's a little bit like how we live life. To your point, we're all so busy being busy and there's so many things that we need to do. I think one of the things the pandemic has taught me and I've been incredibly resistant to it at times is that level of stopping Mm. and being still and silent because there has been nothing more to do from an action point of view. My work fell off the cliff as a lot of people found themselves in the same position. I'm suddenly at home with two children, homeschooling, doing all of those things that so many people found themselves doing. Not only was I questioning my purpose, I was pretty lost in, but hang on a minute, I'm that busy person. I go and do things, I travel, I'm busy, I'm rushing here and there. And suddenly all of that was taken away. And it felt like a bit of a void. And there was that sense of stillness and silence that I was resisting for a very long time. And eventually, it's still a work in progress, Mm -hmm. eventually there was a level of acceptance there um, without that sense of guilt. So then, you know, that whole sense of guilt comes into play for being still and being Mm -hmm. silent. But interesting, because what you've described there also goes back to what we started with, because you had... You've, you had almost labelled yourself, you'd created, your world was such that the label on it was, I am a busy person, I travel, I do this, I do the other, and that almost becomes exactly that, it's, it's what you're telling yourself, it's, it's almost the identity that you give yourself, and then when we're put into a position where an element of that or a large proportion of that is taken away or challenge, you have that moment, you're a bit like a fish just I don't know, fish tread water, was that? No, no not really. But you know, swan oh, or a, sweet. a duck. <laughs> Do you want to call me a duck? You're a bit like a duck. But a, a fish <laughs> hopefully can swim. But you know, <laughs> let's hope so. Otherwise, the ocean's in serious trouble. But you suddenly find yourself in that place where you're questioning, you know, what you believe to be true. But actually, when you're in that place, you're also potentially in the place of the biggest learn. And the biggest opportunity for you going. Yeah, which can be really quite challenging as, you know, Paul will will share that level mm. of challenge through your own journey and moments, I'm sure, of just having to stop and rest. I like that word. Yeah. Your, your coach mentioned that. Yeah. You're not bored, you're resting. Mm. Couple of points there. Um, fish don't climb trees. I did a blog once, um, I don't know, 12 or 18 months ago. Fish don't climb trees. And the whole thing is around purpose. So just going back to what you said, Pip, at the top of this conversation, around this kind of labelling and this self-labelling, you know, the toxic nature of that, the disemboweling nature of that. Um, One I had, and I used to smile and joke about it in a former life, not realising actually the the damage that I was doing, that self-fulfilling prophecy. But I used to have this uh, inner talk chat of, I'm a busy fool, look at my diary. Oh, I'm running all over the place, I'm a busy fool. But because I was laughing about it, kind of excused it, or so I thought. Mm. The reality is, listeners, it didn't. Mm. So that's the first uh, point. The other one is fish don't climb trees. So when we look at purpose or what we believe is true, we believe, I think it's fair to say, I don't know. Let me ask you, you two girls, do you believe that fish climb trees? 
it depends what it depends what you deem to be a tree and what you deem to be a fish i guess well, yeah that's that's looking at it at a deeper level but if you offer that you know the kind of proverbial conversation in a pub group of people right then guys girls do you think that fish climb trees you're kind of going to get a don't be stupid no that's not you know a, a stereotypical answer um, for coaches there's a lot of stereotyping taking place here. <laughs> <laughs> i'll take ownership uh, but the answer was but no of course they don't but the, you know the, the reason i did that blog was to say well actually the the most common belief is i don't know what the percentage is. if you ask that question you'd probably get 80 90 percent say no fish don't climb trees actually yes they do there's six species of fish that do actually climb trees <laughs> um but it just i mean irrespective of that it just shows you the the power of beliefs which for me is a nice foundation uh, to pick up on what you said jules uh, communication let's dive into communication because i think it's fair to say you've got a full workshop uh, delivery coming up very soon have you not we have yeah we have we're working um alongside Actually, somebody you know, Paul, Dr. Keith Amos, um, he's a fabulous individual. We're working alongside Keith and we have created um, a four part workshop over the, the space of a month every Tuesday evening for two hours in June. And it's entitled Who Stuck? Hands Up. Um, and it is very much about, you know, where are we right now? Where are we finding ourselves? And if you ask that question, who stuck? So many people would go, yep, that'll be me. Um, and the hand is raised. And it depends on how you see the term. And again, it's labels, isn't it? How you see the term stuck. So we were talking about this earlier. So you could choose to use the word disengaged. You, you, we will have a different perception of what this word stuck means. And what we're looking to do in this, in this four part um, workshop is actually help people, guide people, give people the tools, the skills, the techniques through four very specific themed workshops to move themselves out of whatever that stuck place is for them into a place of being a little freer, maybe feeling a bit less stuck um, to start looking forward to what this new normal that people keep talking about. I hate that term, the new norm, but what this new world, what this whatever this is, because it's not new, is it? It's just what we're working towards as part of the journey, what that is for each individual. Um, and part of that is very much around, well, you're running the second workshop, which is all about yeah. communication. Yeah, it is communication and really starting with the internal dialogue. In fact, it's focusing very much on the narrative that we play out for ourselves and recognising the power um, and the magic that sits within that narrative when it's working for us kind of touching on the where we started with this around the whole label that's part of the narrative potentially the how we're perceiving what's happened over the last 12 months and how we interpret that will be part of that narrative but really recognizing what it is we're saying right now what the impact that might be into being stuck for instance and by the shift and change of that what could happen what could be the outcome 
she's kind of driving everything else that we're doing for sure yeah and then through the other workshops we get to the final one which is the one that um dr keith amos is is heading up we'll be there too around goals so really helping people move toward what is it if we could get really specific what is it that you would like in your world what do you want to be doing what do you want to be feeling what do you want to be thinking so it's much more than that materialistic what do you want to have so mm -hmm. it's all encompassing so yes so we're very much looking forward to running those and as you said uh paul they start on the 8th of june we'll get some more details about those towards the end uh when we dive into the uh, the show note you know the contact details and all that kind of thing. I just want to go back. I've just um, just had an afterthought. Isn't this interesting from a mode of communication? Isn't it true, listeners, how many times we're engaged in a thread of conversation, then we flip off at a tangent? <laughs> and I did it earlier on, didn't I, when I was talking about just before I introduced the, uh, the Wayne Dyer, those that know. But there was a point about that, and I flipped off completely at a tangent. And now, under the banner of communication, I'm going to come back and say, one of the podcasts I'm going to be doing one of these days is going to be exactly around silence. So I'll introduce the guest. And we will talk about nothing because we won't talk. Yeah, powerful. Did you ever see Paul there? And I can't remember the person's name. There was a, a artist who ran a session where she basically just sat at a table with a chair and everyone who was visiting the exhibition just sat opposite her in pure silence for I think they had about two minutes each. And there was nothing said between them. And this was the art form of it. Um, and there's this massive array of people queuing up to be part of this kind of like living exhibition, which is all around the power of silence. Mm. What was going through listening to you elaborate on that, Pip, was the exercise where you, you sit down with them, usually a total stranger, and you just stare into each other's eyes. Yeah. That, I mean, is beyond powerful, isn't it? Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I know when I mention that to, to clients without actually doing it, just mention it, it kind of freaks them out. The thought of, you know, well, what will he or she, you know, what will go through their mind? What goes through their mind is none of your business. It's what's mm -hmm. going through your mind. Yeah. It's a really powerful um, tool. Um, and it's actually just reminded me of, you know, when I was at drama school many, many years ago although bracketed under the young, um, <laughs> many years ago, Paul. And one of the exercises that I think I found the most challenging in the whole time that I was there was a, a class that we took that was all about silence. And we had to sit opposite another individual. There were 70 in my, my year. Had to sit opposite another individual and for the whole lesson, which I believe was about 50 minutes, we just had to sit and look at one another. Mm. 50 minutes as opposed to two minutes. Mm. It's the most extraordinary thing. And I think I, the, the journey that I went on from an emotional journey, I remember 
like bursting out laughing. I remember crying. I remember desperately not wanting to be looking at this individual and then being really curious at what I was seeing in their face and through their eyes. It was an extraordinary thing. Once you get over yourself, Mm. once you stop with the whole internal dialogue as to worry about what the other person is, as you've just said there, thinking or feeling, it's none of your business. Stop worrying mm. about the other person, start thinking about yourself. And it it was a really extraordinary experience. Mm. And out of the, as I said there, it was one of the most challenging. And I remember walking away, just feeling quite different, just from this experience of sitting and looking at another individual for a whole 50 minutes. Mm. Yeah. We've kind of flirted a little bit with the, the first part of your four-part workshop, communication. You know, we spoke about silence and, you know, such, such as the, uh, the initiatives that we, you've just described. Let's move on to the second one, if we may, Lee. This one fascinates me, mind and body. I call this my BMW because yeah. I add world in. I've been influenced very heavily by, in my humble opinion, the, the great, great Rupert Spira. And so he's, uh, well, before I elaborate on that, so body and mind, mind and body, what, what's, the, what's the kind of real kind of gist of that? What, why mind and body? Yeah, so um, this is probably my baby because I'm, I'm, I'm very much about this. Is I'll go off on a bit of a tangent, I'll come back. So one of, the, one of my passions in life is yoga. Um, not just from a practice, because obviously most people see yoga as um, an exercise, but um, but more of a, a lifestyle choice. And um, not that I live a yogic lifestyle choice, but there are elements to it that really, really resonate with me. And one of the key things about yoga is when you are on your mat, you are on your mat. And it's all very much driven by the breath but it's a mind-body connection. Your ego is sent away. You get rid of your ego for that hour that you're, you're on your mat. And I think one of the elements that is so underrated, is me getting really passionate now, really underrated within the corporate arena, and I'm going to put it as a corporate arena thing, is the mind-body connection and just how we underestimate the power of what this being our mind does to our bodies and vice versa. Mm. Thoughts affecting physiology, physiology affecting thoughts and that connection between the two. And if they are not aligned, if there's an incongruence between them, if, if there's a, I don't know, a mismatch somewhere, then it's, it's a conflict. And that's, that is really hard work from an energetic point of view. Um, and so what we want to incorporate in this, this whole who stuck hands up is just the power of um, thinking about what you can do, not only from your thoughts point of view and how that affects your, your body language and how you choose to sit and how you choose to show up in the world which is your phrase but actually the other way around what can you be doing from a physiological point of view that's actually going to affect your thought processes so um so the mind-body connection piece is just bringing that sense of awareness to the table especially when we're in that place of 
you know, there's so the, the, the mental health is on the increase and mental wellness is something we both are huge advocates of yeah. and want to very much put a spotlight on and go, these are some of the things that we can really work with, really simple, really quick, um, just even thinking about breath work um, to really help individuals with that mind-body connection. And just from a, and I'm going to stop rambling in a minute, Paul, but just to give you an example, really, from a personal point of view, um, up until very recently, and it actually hasn't happened in a, in a while, um, I've never, ever experienced a panic attack or any form of anxiety affecting my, my breath. And there was a period of time where suddenly I was experiencing this heightened level of panic and anxiety to the point where I would probably deem myself to be, yeah, I was having a panic attack. And it sent me spiraling after all the things that I do and I know and I bang on about and I train people in. Why on earth was I in that place of finding myself not able to talk myself out of it? And I think a lot of that was to do with I'd not put my mental wellness as a priority at that point in time. And I kept saying tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. And tomorrow never came until my body and my mind said, oh, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Unless you do something with this, this is kind of a bit of an eye opener so that's just from a, a personal point of view and I think there are so many things that we can highlight and do for people's mental wellness and that starts with that mind-body connection and now I'm going to be quiet the power of silence <laughs> which will be called the podcast episode um, so moving on to the third one then confidence Boy, that conjures up all kinds of weird, uh, a whole rich myriad of, I mean, you go all over it. What does that word even mean? Exactly, exactly. And I think that there's, in some ways, Paul, is the starting point, isn't it, for individuals? What does that word mean to them? And where do they believe they have or want to have or be seen to be confident? And do you think the first two workshops are going to be around the internal dialogue and the mind-body connection already things are being aligned to help people get to a place where they have that level of natural confidence or you might want to call it belief um, you might want to call it um, almost a balance that they've got in their life they're beginning to get back uh, an element of empowerment that enables them to feel um, a bit more upbeat, a bit more um, energetically forward focused, if that makes sense, which then feeds into their level of confidence. Yeah, it, mm. in whatever it, whatever it might be, you know, it could be deciding to sign up to do a marathon or a half marathon. It could be going for an interview. We talked to some people this morning. They were talking about individuals who have done lots of personal development and then they rock up at the interview and it all goes slightly peak tom for them because they're playing out um, they're questioning their level of confidence so what is it that's driving it what's the gap that's there um, so in essence it's probably the bit that sits behind the confidence for the individuals mm. 
And I think also in this confidence building element is, is tackling this whole, and it's a label, but imposter syndrome. Mm. Yeah, it, it is a label, but you, you say the words imposter syndrome and nine out of 10 people would nod their heads and go, yeah, God, I remember, yeah, God, I felt that. And there's that recognition that we, and again, a generalization, the majority of us have found ourselves in that place of going, hang on a minute, somebody's going to find me out here. Hang on, can I really do this? And take that out of the thought process and almost replace it, rewire that thinking with that level of, yes, I can. I, be I, I wholeheartedly believe I can. And there lies that new sense of confidence. Mm. It's also getting the balance, isn't it? I think I've just listened to you there. I don't know why Barack Obama came into my mind, um, but he did. Um, and I just wondered whether there was ever a moment in his model of the world of kind of going, will people find me out? Am I, am I the right person for this role? You know, whatever your belief structure around that might be. Personally, I thought he was pretty phenomenal. But I, 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 my point with that being is I, I wonder whether it really makes any difference whereabouts you are in your world how successful you might be and whether the imposter syndrome is a pretty natural kind of response to have. Um, and then it's, it's, it is, isn't it? It's that moment of kind of recognising you're there and a bit of it might serve you, a bit of it might encourage you to find out more, a bit of it might encourage you to stop and recognise what you know, what you are already. Um, so I think it's quite a, an interesting one, isn't it? Mm. So I think it is that, what does confidence mean to an individual? Because it's, again, going to be different for everyone. Seven billion people in this world, no two people the same. So we're all going to have a different idea of what confidence actually means. Mm. Kind of brings in as well the word vulnerability, doesn't it? <laughs> because for me, um, and obviously I won't mention names, but I have had some very, uh, just let's say, private stroke, intimate stroke, sensitive conversations from people, um, and I'm using a general term here, around the world that are in elevated positions. The one, I'll bring, I'm bringing my mentor, one of my former mentors here, Richard Gerber, and it's interesting, Pip, how you've brought Barack Obama into the conversation. Very, no coincidences for me personally in my world, in my life. But Richard Gerber um, got involved with Barack Obama. Now, this is a guy from Derbyshire, former head teacher. I met Richard, what, 20 years ago, best part of 20 years ago. And he ended, he left his headship and he went on the world stages with the late greats of Ken Robinson, recently passed, um, and got in, involved with um, Nobel Peace Prize winners, Barack Obama et al. Now, Richard talks about the one common trait of eminent people and that's yet again a big you know that's that's a wide scope is they all have childlike curiosity childlike curiosity so when richard and i've done a couple of videos with him and we've spoken in depth about this stuff so when and i said but the other thing is richard is vulnerability mm. But we're not allowed to talk about that. See, we say childlike curiosity. Oh, that's playful. It conjures up images of children playing in the sand or, you know, with Lego bricks or, or whatever. You know, ice cream on the faces and just, you know, good old fashioned, innocent fun. 
Um, you know, I went to a, I went to a football match a few years ago uh, to watch Nottingham Forest play Grimsby Town. It was a few years ago, and Cleethorpes is where Grimsby play. So we walked along the seafront with some with a bag of chips, and there were some kids on there, um, you know, young tots, and they've got ice cream all over the face. For me, that was the beauty of childhood. But I kind of slightly digress there. So to bring it back on the, the two things, that childlike curiosity, that's great. That's got a nice warm feeling. But when somebody then brings it down to earth a bit more and says, well, actually, what about this thing called vulnerability? Isn't it true that generally we tend to kind of, oh, hang on, no, 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 no. We get a bit more defensive. Whether we're conscious of that or not is another matter. And we start to close the loop a bit, don't we? It's like, hang on, I'm not vulnerable. I can ask, I can remember a few years ago when somebody asked me, What what are you fear? What you know, what's your biggest fear? I don't have any fear. I'm an alpha male. I'll face anything. It's like, really? Oh, okay. And I actually meant that at the time. And as the days, weeks, and months and years went by, I look back on that statement and think. Did I really say that? <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? Because I, I think you're absolutely right. Again, how people choose to label the word vulnerability. And I think mm -hmm. the um, the work that Brené Brown has done around, exactly. absolute favourite yeah. of yours, isn't she? Yeah. That has done around the power of vulnerability and using it to your advantage and actually seeing how that uh, vulnerability as you know can can really be um a, a positive attribute for all of us i think has brought it more to the forefront mm. if anybody's interested in ted talks and things like that i'm sure they've they've come across breno brown there um and i remember you watching her first ted talk yeah it was really significant timing for me though i would never never forget this I, and it was I it was a real game changer for me because I had previously always aligned vulnerability with weakness so mm. I thought to be vulnerable meant that you were weak um, now what I realize actually is to be vulnerable means that you are in fact strong and you're honest with yourself mm. you know you're open um, and um, I was I was working for an organisation that I really wasn't enjoying particularly, in the backstory, so that we won't go there. But I was going in, I was travelling into London on the train, and I was watching um, Brennan Brown's uh, The Power of Vulnerability TED Talk on my way in. Little did I know at that moment in time, Paul, how remarkably relevant that was going to be for me. Then, you know, two or three hours later, finding myself in a place where my um, role... Um, my um, professionalism and a whole host of other things were coming into question at quite a massive level. And I still look back and think about the, the timing of me watching that TED talk to then finding myself in a position where actually, I think I, prior to that, would have stepped into a position of weakness instead of stepping into a position of vulnerability and realizing that that in many ways was quite powerful because it's just such an open and honest place to be. You can achieve, and there's such a level of awareness there when you're in a position of being vulnerable. But yeah, I, I, I find it um, 
quite phenomenal. It's one of the things also, Paul, that's brought up quite often by delegates on our course. They will talk about vulnerability as a negative, um, yeah, that it has you know, weak connotations, those sorts of things, and not wanting to show that vulnerability. It's mm. been a massive turning point for people when they, when they move on from that. One of the most powerful, because I'm personally very much a music person, particularly ballad music, you know, but one of the, and I play every single day and have done for decades, and I mean decades, is Dame Shirley Bassey when she sings that iconic song, This Is My Life. And basically what she says, what she's saying is, I put two fingers up to, to life, because no matter what you do, I'm here. I'm raw, I'm vulnerable. I mean, I'm kind of paraphrasing now. But, you know, the way that only she can belt out a number like that, you know, and expressing the whole emotion of uh, challenging times being brought up in Tiger Bay in Cardiff, um, mm -hmm. you know, as a youngster and, and the ordeals and the challenges that she went through. But, you know, that, that iconic line, I've such a lot of love to give. Let me live. Let me live. And what she's saying is no matter what you throw at me. Hey, I'm here. I'm telling you the truth. I'm crying. I'm vulnerable, but I don't care because do you know what? I've got love and I'm back up and I'm back out. And you might put me down again, but do you know what? Because of love, I'm going to come back and I'm going to come back. So you judge me if you want. I don't care. I really don't care because inside of me beats a heart. Now for me, as a Brenny Brown advocate, and I particularly love her story when she tells about her daughter in that swimming competition where she got absolutely smashed out the park that's mm -hmm. even even that's, that's not the right terminology but you know you know what i mean i'm sure um she got beat i think she got lapped and when when her daughter cried yeah brenny thought it was around coming last and it wasn't was it it was around that vulnerability of i'm starting to get in touch with me now because i come back at it a bit like dame shirley i come back at it it doesn't matter what label if I stood on the podium with a one, two or three or whatever it was. I'm here and I'm starting to know me, which brings in that going back full circle to thine own self, be true. Mm. Mm. Very much so. Very much so. Such a journey, isn't it? Such a journey of awareness. But it never, it's a journey that never stops, thankfully. You know, it's just almost like carries on circling those moments of the level of confidence appearing, something occurring, feeling vulnerable, but recognising what you can do about it, recognising where you are, which is one of the things we, we often talk about in the world of NLP in the sense of in order to know where you want to go, you've got to know where you are. And there has, and there, well, it doesn't have to be at all, but if you choose to have that level of complete openness and awareness, taking on all the elements of who you are, then your opportunity to move forward is really strong, really powerful. Mm. So I want to invite you in to share not only your contact details, but just to touch more information around your workshop, um, how listeners can find out, you know. So let's get this out there. I'm starting to do things a bit different now because normally within these, uh, these dancers, and particularly on the young, um, young Game Changers one, there's, there's not any promotion, there's not any any aspect, but I feel that what you guys are doing, and, and obviously our mutual friend, uh, Dr. Keith Amos, is so powerful and is so much needed. So it's kind of carte blanche, really, Jules, you know, to tell us about how people buy tickets, how they get online, or whatever the format is. 
contact details if you if you want to share those yeah absolutely thank you paul um and i think you're you're so spot on there this is such a vital thing for so many people right now so that you can find out more information um via our website which is www.edgenlp.co.uk but also probably the best way is um just emailing us just to just make contact with us which is nudge n-u-d-g-e at edgenlp.co.uk um, and one of us will pick up your email and come back to you straight away. Yeah, and you'll also find details around the workshops on social media, on LinkedIn, either ours, um, so on Edge NRP's social media and on Dr. Keith Amos's social media. We've got the details there of the four 90-minute, two-hour rather, workshops that we're running starting in June. Um, and yes, come and join us. Limited spaces. Absolutely. Superb. So one final question then, as we uh, start towards uh, leaving the dance floor, so to speak, the metaphoric dance floor, and it's this. So you can either do it as individuals or you can do it as a collective, entirely up to, to you to how you want to approach this. But I always say, leave our listeners with one insight, share, thought, pearl of wisdom, experience, whatever you want to, and I'm going to use a generalisation, make our life better or help to make to contribute towards making our life better what would that be well, that's a big question paul i had a i had a quote that came into my head well not even a quote a, a statement i think it's henry ford whether you think you can or you think you can't you're right mm. um and i use that with my kids all the time they want to metaphorically hit me for saying it but it is that thing of just the power of our thought um whether you believe you can or you believe you can't then you're absolutely spot on what did you want mm -hmm. to share that's bizarre because mine's aligned to that i Is think it? yeah so for me i i often think about i think it's very true wherever you are right now is where you're meant to be mm. so even if in this in your journey right now it doesn't feel comfortable that's okay because it's part of your journey and it's where you're meant to be right now it doesn't mean you're going to be there in another hour tomorrow next week but it's where you're meant to be right now mm. it's kind of nicely uh, brings things to an end listeners i was just saying i don't know where this thought come from but when we look at the darkness just to pick up on your um, potential point there but what you were saying around you know wherever we'll be whether we want to be there Look at the dark earthy soil and how a flower, a beautiful flower grows from dark earthy soil. And that might be a very, very nice way to close by saying, listeners, we've just had two beautiful English roses with us. <laughs> oh, what a gem. Yeah, we speak to Paul whenever you like. <laughs> and on that um, heartfelt note, listeners, all that remains is to sign off by saying, Remember, the world's changing. How will you respond? Thanks very much for listening to this World Game Changers podcast episode. Hopefully you found it interesting and helpful. Drop a line to paul at worldgamechangers.org with any thoughts or questions you may have, and he'll be more than happy to respond. Remember, the world is changing. 
How will you respond 